you know, I always thought going through college, all throughout high school, I was like, yeah, I got all kinds of patience, right? But teaching sixth graders, man, I'll tell you what, that tests my patience more than anything else. Um, it was actually just this week, I was telling Brittany, um, my wife, that I was telling her a story, and I want to say it was either Thursday or Friday of what happened. And typically, you know, I'll, if something happens, I kind of like, whew, I like take a deep breath and I hold it in and I don't let it get to me. But this day, I just wasn't having it. I don't know what was going on, but I just wasn't having it. So what happened is this, this one kid, um, it was the last class of the day, so I was just ready to go. I was like, come on, we, can we just get this over with, please? And this kid was just testing my patience over and over and over again. We were working on something, and I was like, dude, just stop. Like, I don't understand what to tell you. Just quit. It's so hard to get them to understand. So he said one more thing. I stood up. I grabbed an empty desk, and I, like, slung it over next to my desk. And I said, hey, come sit right here. He was like, me? I was like, yeah, you. You're the only one who's doing something. Of course you act like he, you know, is not doing anything. So I tell him to come sit next to my desk, and I was like, bring your stuff with you. So he comes and sits down, and he starts to get to work on his thing, or so he thinks. I said, oh, no, 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 we're past that. You're not even doing this right now. I said, here's what you're going to do. I slammed a piece of paper down, a pencil, and a dictionary on his desk. And I said, here's what you're going to do for me. You are going to look up the definition of silence. So he said, uh, okay. So he looks up the definition of silence, and he was like, I got it. I was like, all right. Why don't you read to me what that definition of silence says, and I want you to tell it to everybody else in this classroom, just to make sure everybody gets it. And he said, okay. So he reads it, and it says, the absence of noise. I said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me silence is the absence of noise. And he goes, that's what it says. I said, so why don't you seem to understand that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, so here's what you're going to do to make sure you understand. You're going to sit here, and you're going to write silence, the absence of noise for the next 20 minutes until I tell you to stop. And he goes, are you serious? I'm like, I am dead serious. So this is just an example of, I just, I can't do it sometimes. Sometimes I just can't do it. As patient as I am, sometimes I just, I can't do it. And I was telling that story to Brittany and she goes, man, I always thought I was going to have to be the one to discipline our kids, but that's not too bad. Maybe you should do it from now on. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't think it's all that. Um, I don't think I want to go that far. Um, But patience is an interesting topic because we say we have it, but do we really? I say I have patience, but then that story that I just told proves that I probably don't have as much patience as I thought I did. We all say that, yeah, we can wait. As long as it's worth waiting for, yeah, we can wait. Um, But do we really? And do we wait around and say, hey, you know, I'm not worried. God's got it. Or do we tend to take matters into our own hands? Um, Because, you know, We can wait for anything as long as it's like 30 minutes, right? You know what? If I can wait for something, yeah, 30 minutes, anything past that, it's not worth it. I don't need it. Kind of like going to a restaurant and I pull around and I'm sitting in the drive-thru, right? Especially, Brittany and I were just talking about this, Taco Bell. If you go late at night, they are the slowest restaurant on the planet. So I'll pull into Taco Bell, I'll sit in the drive-thru and I'll wait and I'll wait And then here's what's so awful about it. I'll almost get up to the point where I'm about to give my order and then I just get frustrated and I just pull away. I'm like, ah, I don't want food. It's not worth it. If I had to sit here and wait, it's not worth it. Even though I was right there, right? We're impatient people, even if it's just a little bit. So what I wanna talk about today and what I think Joseph is a good story of is what do we do when we have this dream that God's given us but nothing's happening? 
What do we do when God tells us, hey, this is what's going to happen to you? As in Joseph's case, God gave him a dream. God said, you will be, you know, a high-ranking person where everybody's going to bow down to you. But yet, when we left off Joseph, he was in prison. So what happens when God is not seeming to speak or God is not really advancing you towards that goal and you're just having to wait? What do we do? Because the way I would handle it and the way Joseph handles it is two totally different ways, right? And I think most of us probably fall into the same category that I would. Um, but I think Joseph is a good sort, of, um, good sort of illustration as to what we should do. Um, so that brings us to where Joseph is now. Um, he's in prison. Uh, Potiphar had thrown him in prison because of his wife was falsely accusing Joseph. Um, and we learned that Joseph was also put in charge of all the prisoners um, because we talked about how he made the choice for the Lord to be near him. And even in prison, the Lord still blessed him. So Joseph was in prison, but he was actually in charge of all the inmates because he found favor with the warden. I guess he was all buddy-buddy with the warden. And the warden was like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just be in charge of the prison? I don't feel like doing my job anyway. So Joseph was in charge of all these prisoners, all right? So we're actually going to pick up in Genesis 40, um, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. It says, so um, sometime later, um, and we don't know exactly how long that is. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says sometime later. Um, so the time that Joseph is put in prison and to now, um, we don't really know, but it just says sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, um, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them after they had been in custody for some time. So the first part of this verse, we see that the cupbearer and the baker were put into prison. The Bible doesn't really specify as to why the cupbearer and the baker were put into prison. I feel like those are two really odd people to get thrown into prison. I guess Pharaoh was having a bad day, and the cupbearer put, I don't know, mocha creamer in his coffee instead of vanilla like he wanted, and the baker cooked the wrong flavored muffins. Maybe he gave him blueberry instead of chocolate chip. I don't really know. Um, I just think those are two weird people to be put in prison. I, what could you do wrong as a cupbearer, or what could you do wrong as a baker? I don't really know. Um, but it shows that they're in prison, okay? And then the next thing it says is that in verse 4, it says, the captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the two men. So here's what's interesting. Pop quiz. Who's the captain of the guard? Audience participation. Who's the captain of the guard? Somebody. Anybody? Potiphar. Good. Right. Potiphar. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me that the guy who put Joseph in the prison is now putting Joseph in charge of two of Pharaoh's king officials. That's interesting. Why would he do that? Why would Potiphar all of the sudden change his mind, or not necessarily change his mind, but trust Joseph enough to put him in charge of the two other people? I think it's because a lot of times time will heal a lot of wounds. Um, time sort of, when you let enough time pass, it starts that process of reconciliation. It starts that process of thinking, hey, maybe I might have wronged somebody, or hey, maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe they didn't do it on purpose, right? I will be the first person to admit that when I have wronged somebody or somebody is upset with me, I want to fix it right then. I absolutely cannot stand it when people are upset with me. I hate it. 
I hate being that person that people are upset with me. So what I'll do is I'll try to go fix it, and it's too early to be fixed. Some people, they need to heal. It takes time. Some people, it takes them time to be able to get over you know, what you've done to them if you've wronged them. And that's something that I hate, that I don't really understand, that I'm working towards, because most of the time, whenever I wrong somebody, I'll try to fix it right then, and I just end up making it worse, right, because they're not ready. Time heals a lot of wounds, and sometimes you just have to wait it out, whether that's, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. Um, When Brittany and I fight about where we want to go to dinner, about 15 minutes later, then we're okay. We just got to be quiet with each other and not talk to each other for like 15 minutes, and then after that, um, I'm usually like, well, I'm hungry, so we need to figure this out real quick, Um, and we do. So sometimes it's 15 minutes, or sometimes when you really hurt somebody, like if you were in a relationship and it ended bad or anything like that, that's going to take some time. That's not something you can fix immediately. Um, And I think that this is a good example of that, is that when we try to fix things, it doesn't work. But if you give it time and you're patient and you wait that time and let God do his work, you know, if you give it time, God will work in you. He'll work in the person. And eventually you can come together for some sort of reconciliation, right? So I think that's the important part to pull out of this verse four is that no matter how impatient you are, you can't fix it on your own, especially with people. Sometimes you need to wait. People are sensitive. It's hard to fix people. I can barely fix myself, much less trying to fix somebody else, right? So it's hard and you got to give it time. So the next part of this is Genesis 45 through 19. And I'm not going to read all of this to you just because it's sort of, um, it's a lot. And we don't have that much time, and a lot of it is kind of complicated. So I'm just going to recap it for you. Um, so as the story goes, uh, the chief, the chief cupbearer and the baker are put in prison, and Joseph is put in charge of them. So one morning, Joseph comes to them, and he sees that they're sort of sad, and he's like, "Hey, man, what's going on? Like, what, like, what's up?" And the cupbearer goes, "Man, you would not believe the kind of dream that I had last night." And Jeff goes, "Oh yeah." I know a little something about dreams. What you got? Give it to me. I have this dream too. I got you. I can figure it out. So the chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph goes, hey, hey, good news, dog. I got you. You know what? Here's what's going to happen. In three days, Pharaoh's going to realize that he did you dirty. He wronged you. And he's going to give you his job back. That's awesome. That's great. But, 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 listen, listen, listen. Since I've been able to interpret your dream for you, and since I've been able to give you this hope that you will get your job back, you got to do me a solid. You got to have my back. When you get there, tell Pharaoh what I've done for you. Tell Pharaoh that I've helped you interpret your dream and get me out of this prison, man. I'm tired of being in here. I want to get out, right? I helped you interpret your dream. Tell them I'm here under false circumstances. I didn't do what people said I did. I need need out. I need out. And the chief cupbearer goes, I got you, Joe. We're homies. I got your back. I'll remember. I promise. So this gets the baker excited. The baker's like, ooh, 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 me next. I got a dream too. I got a dream too. And he tells Joseph, and Joseph goes, ooh, sucks to be you, man. You're going to die in three days. Sorry. Uh, He's going to get his job back, but you're going to die. So you don't have to remember me because I I don't, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm so sorry, but you're going to die soon. So my bad. Um, But, you know, I'm just, I'm just the messenger. I'm not the person who gave you the dream. So then these two people, three days pass and it happens just like Joseph had said. 
The cupbearer gets his job back, and Pharaoh impales the baker on a stake. I don't know what in the world he's done that he could offend Pharaoh that much being a baker, but whatever. Um, So everything that Joseph had said came true. Now, the whole part of that that I find to be interesting is in verse 14. Um, And if you will put 14 on the screens for me, please, in the back cam. Um, It says, this is um, Joseph talking to the cupbearer. It says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So this is Joseph talking to the cupbearer saying, hey, please, please remember me. And then one more, verse 15 says, "Um, I was forcibly carried off from the land and the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So he's saying, look, please get me out of here. I haven't done anything. I'm in a dungeon. Please help me. And this, I think, is super important because he never gives up hope. This is the first time that we see Joseph having hope for something. Can you imagine being in a prison under false circumstances for years? We don't know how long this has been. This could have been four or five years. It just says sometime later. We don't know. And then finally, something happens to where he has hope to get out. He has hope to be able to say, oh, please, yes, get me out of this place. We see hope. And to me, I think that hope is something that's important. Hope is something that I try to live by. Um, I try to live by two words. They're both four-letter words. One is love, and the other is hope. Because if you don't have hope, what do you have, really? You don't really have anything. Hope is something that is so important. Now, even if your life is perfect, and I'm not saying that, you know, your, your life isn't perfect because, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're always on time everywhere you go, or maybe your kids are never in trouble and they're always where they're supposed to be, and they're straight-A students, and, you know, everything's great with them, or maybe your dog always poops and pees outside, never poops and pees in the house or something, and your life just can't go wrong. There is nothing possibly that can go wrong with your life, and if that's you, that's great. Like, really, truly, I'm really happy for you, but honestly... Most of us won't fall into that category. Most of us fall into the other category of saying, hey, we need some hope. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm stuck or I've got a broken marriage or I've got financial issues or the relationship that I have with my kids is not where it should be. And I need some hope. I need to put some hope into that situation. Because let me tell you, if you don't have hope, nothing's going to get better. If you sit there and say, hey, I want a, relation, I want a better relationship with my, with, my, with my kid, but you don't hope and you don't do something to make it happen, it's just going to stay that way. You've got to have hope because if you don't, you, you don't have anything. Joseph had hope. Here's what he could have done. And here's, if we're being totally honest, this is church, we can be honest. If we're being totally honest in church, this is what I would have done. I would have done what Joseph could have done. He could have said, you know what? Chief cupbearer and baker, you have dreams? Yeah, join the club, me too, and look where it got me. He could have done that. He could have said, forget it, screw it, God. I'm not about it. I'm not about it at all. But he didn't. What he did is he had hope, and he kept the Lord near, which is the theme all throughout the story of Joseph. He kept God near, and he said, you know what? I'm gonna get out of here. God, as long as I keep doing what you want me to do, you're going to get me out of here and you're going to take care of me. And that's exactly what he did. He said, I will interpret these dreams. I will use the gift God has given me of interpreting dreams 
and I will be able to hopefully get out of here. He showed that he had hope. And, you know, if he didn't have hope, how long would he have lasted in that prison? Probably not very long. Um, when you're put in a false situation like that, where it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to get any better, how long do you really last? How long does your mindset go? How depressed do you get? How sad do you get when things don't go your way? When something happens and you're like, this is not how it was supposed to be, God. What do you do? Do you sulk? Do you get sad? Or do you do like Joseph did and say, thank you, God. Yes, let me continue to do what you want me to do. Because again, I'll be honest with you, I'm the world's worst at when I get sad and depressed, doing everything I can to keep myself sad and depressed, right? Like when I'm sad and depressed, I want to listen to sad and depressing music. I want to, you know, eat food that I shouldn't eat and watch a sad movie or something, right? Like I want to like be in that sadness because that's where I am. And I want to feel sorry for myself. That's what Joseph could have done. But how long would he last in that prison? Not very long. No, I wouldn't. Heck no. You mean to tell me if I get put in prison for doing something that I didn't do? Heck no. I'll just say, whatever, I'm done. I quit. And that's a lot of us, even in our lives. You don't have to be in prison to feel sad. You don't have to be in prison to feel lonely and lost and forgotten by God. You just may not be where you want to be at that dream that's way over there that you thought you were working towards, but now here you are. And that's where we see Joseph. He was patient and he was hopeful. Um, That's the biggest thing, is in order to have hope, you got to be patient and know that the end is in sight. You have to be patient and you have to know that God has your back, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do and what God wants you to do. All right, and now uh, we're in the last section of verses here, um, that is verses 20 through 23. In the last set of verses, we see that everything Joseph had told the two men, they came true. Um, But I want to read verse 23 to you, if you'll put that up on the screen, please. So, after everything had come true that Joseph had said, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. I think this is often overlooked, but I think this is one of the saddest verses throughout the entire Bible. Think of all the hope Joseph had before this moment. He had interpreted this cupbearer's dream. He knew that in three days, the cupbearer would come before Pharaoh and say, hey, we got a guy named Joseph in this prison. We need to get him out. He's, this is the most hopeful Joseph could possibly be. But then the cupbearer forgot about him. Can you imagine Joseph sitting in this cell He sees the cupbearer being taken out of his cell, knowing that he's going to Pharaoh, and Joseph just sitting there saying, yes, any minute now, they're going to come get me, and I'm going to get out. And he sits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and nothing happens. He forgot about it, man. Just leaves him there. To me, that is the worst possible feeling. It's got to be if you're Joseph. It's got to be the worst feeling. You were forgotten about. Um, Because most of the time, when you're sitting in, we call it, you know, Joseph is sitting in prison. But again, it could just be your life is not going like you want it to. Most of the time when that happens, 
You, you can't see what's on the other side. You can't see what's outside. You can't see the finish line. You can't see all the good that's happening. All you can see is your situation. You can't see past the bars and the cells and all that sort of stuff while you're in prison. It's all you can see. Can you imagine that being Joseph? All he could see was the bars and the cells and the inmates. And that was it. He had no hope. He should have had no hope. Everything about this story should have told Joseph, hey, God's forgotten about you too. Everything about this story should have told Joseph, hey, um, you know, just, you're stuck, man. But that's not what he did. That is not what he did at all. And he was able to be able to look out of the cell and look past the cell and say, hey, hope is on the way. Hope is coming. God has got me. He was patient. In the midst of everything that was going on with him, he didn't try to fix it himself. And I think that's an important point to understand is that he wasn't going around trying to break out or trying to get out because he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm falsely here. I shouldn't be here. So he took matters into his own hands. He didn't do that. He could have very easily, but he didn't. Here's a question that I have. If he is found favor with the prison warden and he's in charge of all the other inmates and then he gets the cupbearer and the baker in the prison with him and he's tasked to be in charge of them, do you not think he could have like tried to sweet talk his way to the warden to get out of jail or something? I mean, if he has this much favor in the prison system with the warden, there's gotta be something he could have done to try to get out, but he didn't. The Bible doesn't even say he attempted to escape. He just let it happen. Because he knew that on the other side, waiting, was that dream that God had given him. And I find it interesting that I wonder, I wonder that point. Um, for the longest time, I've wondered why there, we have stories like Joseph. Um, we have stories like other people, like the video showed before I got up here, about people that had to wait. And about people that had hard times. And about people who struggled. I'm like, this is the Bible, man. These people are supposed to be the picture of faith of hope, of whatever. Why in the world are these characters and why in the world is God putting these characters through all this crap? What's the point? I don't understand why. But then I realized, and I realized something very important. Because here's the thing. We call God a number of things. We call God a healer. We call God a provider. We call God a rescuer. And not only that, sometimes we call him the great healer, the great rescuer. We put the word the in front of like He is the healer. But here's what's interesting. How would you know that? How would you know he's the great healer if you were never in a situation where you needed to be healed? How would you know he was the great rescuer if you were never put in a situation where you needed to be rescued? How would you know that he was the great provider and he would provide for all of your needs if you were never in a situation where you need to be provided for? That's why these stories are in here. Because you can tell, you, we can say all the time that he's a healer, but until you experience healing from God, you're not gonna know. Until you get rescued and pulled out of whatever junk you're in by God, you're not gonna know he's a rescuer. You have to experience it to know the end result. You have to experience what God has for you in order to understand. And that's what's huge about this. And that's the reason I think that God let Joseph sit in this cell. 
because he wanted Joseph to see that he could pick him up out of that filth. And that way Joseph would always know who healed him, who provided for him, who rescued him out of that crap. Because until you're in it, you don't know. You can hear it all you want to. But that's the reason why these stories are in the Bible. And to me, that is the biggest reason why Joseph is such an important character because he shows what God being a rescuer is all about. Because there is absolutely no reason why he should have gotten out of this prison. You'll see next week um, when Pastor Frank brings the next sermon, how he gets out. And it is crazy the way that this happened. And it was totally a God thing. The only way he gets out is by an act of God. God rescued him out of that prison. And that's why we can call him the rescuer. We can see God fulfill his promise. Joseph knew that it was only a matter of time. And that's what happened um, in the next set of verses. See, I don't... um, I don't want to go too far because that's, uh, that's for next week. But the very next verse in chapter 41 says, after two years had passed. That's another two years that Joseph is still in prison. So we have some time later at the beginning of the passage we talked about today. And then another two years had passed. He's in there forever, guys. Forever. But he never once gave up hope. He never once got impatient and started to try to do things his own way. And that's what's so important is that when we're waiting and we're in that area of our life where God just doesn't seem to be working, where we're in that area of our life where we have hopes and dreams and whatever and nothing's happening, Joseph was in it for years. We get in it for a week and we're like, come on, God, where you at? You said this was going to happen. Come on. I came to church. Where's it at? I was at church yesterday. Help me out. Give me something. You come to church expecting to get something, and then when you don't, you say, screw it. Church doesn't work. I'm not going back ever again. Joseph was in there for years, man. Forever. You got to have patience. You got to be like Joseph and know what's on the other side. But that requires you to have faith in what God tells you. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream, and I believe God speaks in dreams. Even to today, I believe he still speaks in dreams. Now, not all dreams are from God, obviously. I remember one of the first nightmares I ever had was about the, uh, you guys remember, uh, I think it was, it was McDonald's. They had the Hamburglar, right? It was like the, the Big Mac dressed up with like the thing, and he was like a Hamburglar, and he would go around stealing all the sandwiches. My first nightmare was the Hamburglar breaking into my bedroom window at night right? Now, obviously, that dream's probably not from God. That's like eating too much pizza before bed. That's probably what that was, right? That's clearly not from God. But dreams come from God. But you got to believe it, and you got to have faith, and that's what gets you to where you need to be. That's what gets you through the prison. That's what gets you through rock bottom, which was where Joseph was. There's a story that I always like to tell that goes along with this because, um, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because it happened to me. Um, after my senior year of high school, um, I got to go play collegiate baseball um, at a college. And it was a small college. It was like a D3 school, but I was still there, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but then, you know, I was, I was on top of the world, right? I was like, I got to move away at college. I'm playing baseball, which I played forever. Um, you know, I, I made it to college, first of all. That's an achievement in itself. Um, and then I get there, and I, I kind of enjoy it. You know, it was, 
it was a small school, which was a little weird to get used to. Um, and it was a private Christian school, which was also weird to get used to after being in public school forever. Um, but I enjoyed it. I was on top of the world, man. I had these friends. I had a baseball team. I had everything going for me. And then after the first semester, something happened. And, you know, I ended up not playing. Um, I ended up not liking it as much as I thought I did. And stuff happened. And I had to move back home. I had to move back in with my parents. Um, I had to, after being free, I had to, you know, instead of going off to college, now I'm going to a community college. Um, now I'm having to get a, like, not a full-time job because I'm going to college, but I'm having to get, like, a job, um, a part-time job that I've never had before. All my friends are gone. All my friends are away at college. And I, that, for me, that was rock bottom, which in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's really not all that bad. Um, but that was the lowest point I've ever been. I was back home. I had nothing. I, had, I was on top of the world, and I had it all taken away from me in a matter of like a week. This all happened between one of the breaks. I was at rock bottom, and I said, forget it. What's the point? Where am I? You know? Like, like why try? I'm just back here where I started. I didn't go to church. I gave up on it. Um, I didn't really do anything. I tried to get plugged in. It just didn't work. I went to school. Um, I went to work, and then I came home, and that was it. Um, it wasn't until I started realizing that, hey, uh, churches, they need drummers sometimes. So I'm going to go, uh, you know, play drums at a bunch of different churches. So then I started to do that, and I would be, like, you know, like a different church, you know, playing drums wherever they needed me to, wherever they would pay me. Um, and then um, I played a few times at First Baptist, um, First Baptist Cartersville, when uh, Pastor Frank was still there, and he was like, hey, man, let me tell you about something. Let me tell you about Lake Point Church. And he told me, and he was like, why don't you play drums for me on Sundays? I was like, eh, got nothing else to do. Why not? Sure. So that's when I started here, and that was when we just had our five-year celebration. That was five years ago. And if you would have told me six years ago when all of that happened that I would be standing here today doing this, that is so much greater than anything I could have ever done. That is so much greater than anything that I had in my head that I thought I was going to do while I was playing baseball in college. Because now, I'm up here. I get to share, you know, God's word with you guys. I was at the Champion Center this morning getting to, you know, speak to all those people, being in the midst of hundreds of athletes. I was, um, you know, I'm a teacher. I get to influence little kids, little sixth graders every day, and everybody in the school building. Um, I'm a high school baseball coach, so I'm still around the game, and I get to help these young kids not make the same mistakes that I did. You know, if you would have told me six years ago that this is what I would be doing today, I would have told you there is absolutely no way. I would have told you there is no way on earth that I would be doing this. See, a lot of times when God puts you through those low points, it's not to punish you. It's to prepare you for something greater than you ever imagined for yourself. Because a lot of times we take rock bottom and we think, God, we didn't do anything wrong. Why are you punishing me? He's not. He's preparing you for something greater. He's preparing you for that next step that you never thought you could take. And I didn't realize that until, you know, it was too late. Maybe if I would have realized that when it first happened, it wouldn't have taken me six years to get to this point. Maybe it would have only taken three or something. I don't know. But it took me a while. And Joseph realized that. At you know, he's probably, it's the, um, it starts, the story starts when he's 17. 
he's maybe 20, 21, 22 now, about the same age I was when all that happened to me. And I didn't get it. Joseph got it. He understood that God was preparing him to achieve his dream. I didn't get that. I thought God was punishing me and I was never gonna get there. That's why Joseph's story is so important. That's why impatience is such a big deal because while you're waiting, you can't think of it as a punishment because it's not. He's preparing you and you have to treat it that way. You have to treat it as he's preparing you for something else. See, the last thing I wanna talk to you about as we close here, there's something, there's an analogy that always comes back to me that I always think of um, when we talk about impatience and when we talk about the Christian life and that's a drive-through. I think most of us as Christians, we treat God like a drive-through restaurant. We pull up to the window, we say, God, I want this, this, and this. We pull around, we give God, you know, like a dollar that we pulled out of our console to pay for this, you know, food, and then they give it to us all in less than three minutes. I got bad news for you. God doesn't work that way. You don't place an order with God, pull around the window and say, all right, God, where's that? After you give him just the change you found, after you give him just a little bit. It's not how it works. God doesn't work that way. God works on his own time. And I tell you, it is not a fast food restaurant unless it's Chick-fil-A because, you know, that's God. But anyway, although Chick-fil-A is pretty quick, that's definitely three minutes or less, unless you go at lunchtime. Um, But Ah, look and see what I did. I distracted myself. So um, I thought about Chick-fil-A and I was like, that sounds good for lunch. And I was like, wait, it's Sunday. But anyway, I'm all over here now. So here is what's important. Let me, let me, let me get us back here. Um, You think I'd be used to it. I do this with sixth graders all day. Um, So what's important is that we got to understand God takes time and God works on his time, not our time. And there are going to be times when we think that God's not working, but he is. There's gonna be times when we think, God, why are you punishing me? But he's not. He's preparing you for something greater. We're gonna think, God, I'm here. I'm patient. I'm waiting. And God says, just a little longer. Just trust me. Believe in that dream and that vision I gave you. I promise. I've got you. Just give me time, right? And I think that's a lot of us. I told you my story about rock bottom, and I'm sure... There are people in here who have it way worse at rock bottom than I do. Um, And, you know, I fully understand that. And again, some of you, your life is perfect right now. And that's great too. I'm happy for you, truly. Um, But there will be a time when you hit a valley. That's what life's all about, especially the Christian life. They told you it was easy. They lied to you again. Um, They lied to you twice. You need to go back and unfriend them probably. Um, But it's not easy. You will have those valleys. Now you're going to have peaks too. I was, at the top of the, I was at the top of the world when I graduated high school. And then I went down to the lowest point I've ever been. That may be some of you right now. You may be coming off a peak and you're slowly trending downward. And it may not even be slowly. It may be a free fall downward, like overnight, right? And some of you may be here and that's you. And I'm so glad you're here because I want to tell you personally, just a little bit longer. Just have patience. Have hope. If there's one thing that you get out of me today, if you've not listened to a single word I have said today, you've just been up here wondering why the heck this dude's pacing back and forth and raising his arms. Here's what you need to hear. Have hope. Because with hope, you've got nothing. Let's be honest. Hope is something that I have tried to live my entire life by. You gotta have hope. 
So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to pray. And if for some reason you don't have that or, you know, you say, look, I don't even have God. I don't even know God. You know, I don't know what God's vision is for me or God's dream is. I just know that I'm in a pretty crappy situation and I need some help. I need some hope. I need something. Come find me. Come find Pastor Frank. Come find somebody. We'd love to talk to you. That's why we're here, right? That's why you're here. So um, everybody bow your head, close your eyes with me. Dear Lord, I just, I thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us, God, just to be able to gather together and just, just talk about you, man. Just talk about the things that you've done in not only my life, but the things you've done throughout for people in the Bible, God. You know, we realize that a lot of times when we're waiting or we think we're being punished, we don't realize that you're preparing us for something we can never imagine ourselves. We can't do anything on our own, God. It all comes from you. Every single thing that we do comes from you. And I just pray that you be with us and that you lead us through that time, that we understand how to be patient. We understand we can't do it on our own. God, I just, if there's anybody here that has hit that rock bottom, that has hit that place where they're just like, man, I wish I had some hope. God, I pray that you speak into their lives and say, man, I have this hope for you that is greater than anything you have ever thought. I have this dream and this vision for you that will be greater than anything you ever thought would happen in your life. I just pray that you give people that peace of mind, God. And I pray that if there's anybody in here that may not even know you, may not even say, that's great, but I don't know what a dream is. I don't know what this hope in you is, God, that you'd have them talk to one of us. You know, that, that we can give them that hope because that's why we're here, God. Not only that, I pray that as we go throughout the rest of this week, you'll be with us as, you know, whether we're at that peak or whether we're at that valley and we're in that prison, God, that you'd be with us and lead us through to live out our dreams. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.